Well, good morning, everybody. I've got big news for you to start our service this morning. There are 364 days till Christmas. <laughs> so you might want to start your shopping right now. Well, looming large on the horizon, as we all know, is now New Year's Day. Uh, day that, uh, well, many people will be maybe dealing with the aftermath of New Year's Eve, but, but also dealing with a subject that comes up every year at this time, the subject of New Year's resolutions. Now, I don't know if you're the type that makes New Year's resolutions, but a very popular thing to do. I saw a uh, very interesting study that was done on GoSkills.com online that listed the top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make this time of year. Number one was exercise more. Number two was to lose weight. Number three was to get organized. We could probably all use a little of that. Number four, learn a new skill or a hobby. Number five, live life to its fullest. Number six, save more money or spend less money. Number seven was quit smoking. Number eight was spend more time with family and friends. Number nine was travel more. And number 10 was to carve out time to read more. Now, I don't know where you might fit in as far as resonating with some of those resolutions. But let's face it, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, the most challenging thing isn't necessarily making New Year's resolutions as much as it is keeping New Year's resolutions. That's the main reason why that uh, new Peloton bicycle that you bought for Christmas can often, within a few months, end up being a $3,000 coat hanger if we're not real careful. Well, the big question we've got to ask is this. Is the idea of New Year's resolutions biblical? Well, the, the fact of the matter is God does desire to do new works within our lives. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 5 and verse 17, we are told, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, what are these new things all about? What is the new work that God desires to do in your life and my life? Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a break from our current study in the Gospel of Luke and focus in on an individual that I would consider a shining example of someone in whom God did a brand new work. His name is Joshua. If you would turn with me in your Bible, the Old Testament book of Joshua, we're going to get up close and personal in the next few minutes with this amazing change that God did with, in the life of a man who arguably was facing one of the greatest challenges anyone has ever had laid at their feet in biblical history, to take the baton of faith from a pretty fair spiritual leader, his name was Moses, and complete the new work that God wanted to do to lead the people of Israel into a brand new life. Now, that leading Israel into a brand new life required that Joshua first be led by God into a brand new life. And in Joshua chapter 1, we're going to see three things that God did in Joshua's life 
that made him ready for this brand new work, and by extension, three things that I believe can prepare us to be able to experience a brand new work of God as the new year approaches. We pick things up in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. There we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land that I am giving him, the children of Israel. Well, boy, you want to talk about a situation where Joshua was facing some real challenges. Notice right off the top, God drops a bomb on Joshua that he was probably very well aware of. He told him that Moses was dead. In other words, God had finished the work he was going to do through Moses, and now it was time for Joshua to take on this daunting task of leading nearly 5 million people into a brand new world, a brand new land, and a brand new life. So how did Joshua find himself prepared for this set of circumstances? Well, three things we need to know about what had gone on in Joshua's life that led him to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. The first thing that made Joshua ready to take on this amazing work of God was that he knew God's power within his life. In the book of Exodus chapter 17, we see a great example of how Joshua was prepared to experience the power of God. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8, we read this, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now notice, here we see Joshua getting knee-deep and leading the people of Israel into dealing with a particularly noxious enemy, the people of Amalek. They were known for being, well, I guess the pioneers of terrorism because they would follow the people of Israel. They would look for, say, the old, the weak, the infirm, and they would pick them off one by one to terrorize the people of Israel and so discourage them in their wilderness wanderings. Well, God wanted to deal with the Amalekites once and for all, and so Joshua went on this military campaign. Now, notice something. Although Joshua seemed to have all the credentials necessary to be a successful general, and all the men necessary to be able to take on, well, a smaller nation, an inferior nation like Amalek. It was only when Moses was worshiping God that they had victory. And when Moses became weary, his hands, if you will, fell. Well, then Amalek prevailed. Boy, what a preparation for what was going to lie ahead in the promised land. 
Because A, the people of Israel are going to face all kinds of noxious enemies who didn't know the Lord their God. And B, the only way they were going to prevail was by relying upon the power of the Lord. If you know anything about what was awaiting the people of Israel, say at their great victory uh, at the uh, city of Jericho, where the power of God was demonstrated, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, uh, that was going to be their watchword going forward. Now, notice something. God had worked in Joshua, an experience that prepared him for these coming events. Now, Pastor Chuck Smith, before he passed away, would often point out that where we've been in the past is preparation for where we are today. And where we are today is preparation for the things that God has yet ahead for us. And so, again, Joshua knew God's power. Joshua also knew God's plan. You remember back in Numbers chapter 14, you can read this account in your own time, that Joshua and Caleb were among those who went in and scouted out the promised land. They knew that it was God's intention, God's will for the people of Israel to go in and enter into this land. But the fact of the matter was, uh, the, uh, the idea of where God's people were going wasn't lost on Joshua. And you know what? Where we are going as believers in Christ shouldn't really be lost on us. There's all kinds of people who will say to me, oh, if I only knew God's will for my life then I'd be getting somewhere. What is God's plan? What is his purpose for my life? Well, understand something. When we ask that question, most of us would love if, say, God gave us a destination. God revealed to us exactly where we're going to be five years from now, what the circumstances are. But you know what? God never does that in our lives. Well, maybe he does, but it's very rare. Rather than giving us destination, God always gives us instead revelation. In other words, God will give you just enough information to be faithful to him right where you are today and allow you to make that next step. Psalm 119, verse 105, what does it say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As we pointed out to you before, if you've hung around here for any length of time, the lamps they had back then weren't the quartz halogen numbers that we have today, where you can see somebody with one of those beauties all the way up on top of Mount Lemon. Those lamps would only give you enough light to make the next step. Well, that's how God leads within our lives. Generally speaking, he's not going to show us where we need to be five years from now. But he will let you know what it means to be obedient to him, to walk in his ways in the next five minutes. You see... When it comes to God's will, the old saying is really true. We don't need more spiritual IQ. We need more spiritual I do. If we're faithful with the knowledge that we have, with our knowledge of God's plan, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, we're going to be getting somewhere in life. And third, God uh, had already shown Joshua a, a wonderful preparing work by demonstrating to him his presence among God's people. In the book of Numbers, Chapter 27, there's a beautiful picture of uh, this uh, work that God did within the life of Joshua. Numbers chapter 27, beginning at verse 15, we read a very interesting passage. 
Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him, and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in my sight. Verse 22 says, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Then he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now notice, God had set Joshua aside for a special work by name, an individual that would be specially prepared, and it would soon become evident to the people of Israel, not just by this ceremony, but also by the consistent track record of faithfulness that Joshua would have in his life, that they weren't lacking a leader any longer. That this man Moses, although uh, this man Joshua, although Moses was dead, there was no turning back. There was no fallback position any longer. Joshua had everything he needed to be successful. Do you realize that you have everything you need to be successful in your walk with God? That God has given to you and to me virtually everything that we need, everything necessary to bless us and to make us a blessing in the lives of others. Boy, uh, writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul had a really interesting statement uh, to make to them. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, the church at Corinth lacked no spiritual gift, no spiritual blessing. God had given them everything they needed, and the same is true for you and for me. You see, God wants you to be able to take a look at what he has done within your life, maybe even this last year, and ask yourself the question, okay, Lord, what are you preparing me for going forward? See, this is why I believe that giving thanks to the Lord for answers to prayer within our lives is such an important thing. Because let's face it, have you ever heard of Monday morning amnesia? You know what that is? That's what happens to us on Monday mornings when someone comes up to you and they go, hey, I hear you went to church on Sunday. You go, yeah, yeah, I went to church on Sunday. And they go, well, uh, what'd you learn in church? And you go, oh, uh, gee, you know, I, I think the pastor talked about something from, I, I know it was something from the Bible, but boy, it's just, you know, have you ever gone through that where you just don't really even remember what you heard beforehand? Well, there's one cure for Monday morning amnesia. That is to say to yourself, when you get out of this place, when you leave those double doors, all right, Lord, what one thing did you speak to my heart today? Let me write that down, and let me look at this week going forward as an opportunity to be able to apply that. 
Boy, application tends to make revelation a thing that sticks within our lives. And so, you know, the wise man considers his ways. The wise man looks at their path. They, they, they take a look at where they've been and use that as a launching pad for what God has yet ahead in the future. Where have you been this last year? Has it been a year of blessing for you? Has it been a year of blasting for you? Has it been a year of great faith for you? Has it been a year of fear for you where you face some really difficult and challenging times? Understand, where you were in this past year was no accident. God is using these things to prepare you for even more wonderful things he wants to do yet ahead. It was true for Joshua in his experience, being with the people of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. It's true for us as well. So the second thing that we see in the life of Joshua is not just the role of preparation, getting ready for a brand new work of God, taking stock of where we've been, but there's also a key element of revelation from God that is absolutely necessary if we're going to experience the newness of life that God has for us in Christ. Notice it begins with God reiterating a promise to Joshua. In verse 2, we see the classic bad news, good news proposition. Moses, my servant, is dead. Oh no, what am I going to do? I don't have Moses to rely upon anymore. And then God says, now therefore arise, go to the Jordan with all these people to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. Now listen to this amazing promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea going down to the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never not leave you nor forsake you. Now, notice this amazing challenge here. Moses is gone, and boy, that is a challenge for a lot of people. We tend to like our leaders with skin on, don't we? You know, we say to ourselves, yeah, we really want to follow the Lord, and Jesus is my sufficiency and all, but uh, the, the bottom line is when a key spiritual leader passes, a lot of confusion that's gone on. When Chuck Smith passed away a few years ago, there was a lot of confusion in a lot of people's hearts and minds in the Calvary Chapel movement. What are we going to do now? Well, what we're going to do now is what we've always done. Rely upon the presence and the promises of God. Now, notice this uh, amazing statement that is made uh, here in this passage. God says to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, this vision that God had for the people of Israel was a tremendous one. In fact, it's one, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, that the people of Israel, even to this day, have never actually been able to realize, but they will when Jesus comes back again. The, the bottom line is this. God said, I will be with you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Oh, what an amazing promise from God's word. I will not leave you 
nor forsake you. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we find this particular passage quoted in a very interesting way, maybe in a way that resonates with you in these, uh, well, these times where we're concerned about the economy, we're concerned about inflation, we're concerned about supply chains being in place. There's an awful lot of people that read the local news and they go, man, you know, we, we could be in for some really difficult times economically. Well, God is all over that. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, where have we heard that before? Joshua chapter 1. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. Isn't that an amazing promise from God's word? God knows our needs. God knows what we need, not just spiritually, but materially and in every way. He's got it. If we've got the Lord and he's got us, then everything else we're worried about getting, right, takes care of itself. What a beautiful promise we see from God's word. But understand, along with this great promise, there was also a great challenge that Joshua was going to face. Look again at uh, where we are in, uh, in verse 7. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper where you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, that you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow, what an amazing promise from God's word. How can we have a similar experience to what is being described here? Well, few things that we need to understand right off the top. God is still in the business of blowing our minds with his presence, with his power, and with his provision. He wants to give you and me good success, we are told here. Now, there's such a thing as bad success, believe it or not. If we are successful in terms of, say, achieving, say, some uh, material goals and things like this, and it gets our eyes off the Lord. Sometimes our abundance can end up being a trap and a snare to us. Sometimes having a lot materially can lead us to having less in our lives spiritually in terms of depending upon the Lord. But God wants to give you the best kind of success. He doesn't want, say, to drop you into poverty so that uh, you can't, uh, you know, have anywhere to go but to trust in him. He doesn't want to exalt you into riches so that you find yourself saying, well, you know, I think I can go on cruise control spiritually. I've been blessed so abundantly. God wants us to have that good success he is talking about here. He wants us to be strong and courageous. What does it mean to be strong spiritually? Well, being strong spiritually is, well, maybe a little bit different than the way it's usually billed in our society and our culture today. 
Sometimes we think being strong spiritually is being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, being able to be the head and not the tail and the lender and not the borrower and so on, as you hear the prosperity uh, preachers teach it. But true spiritual success is defined in a very different way. In, in the book of Revelation chapter 3, we meet a church that Jesus himself looked upon as the definition of spiritual success. If you've been with us in our study in the book of Revelation, you know that in the book of Revelation chapters 2 through 3, God sent seven letters to seven churches, speaking to them uh, about the things that were going on there. And these seven churches, I believe, were specially selected by God because they'd be representative of the general condition of God's people down through time. And so we see in these seven churches an interesting pattern. Out of the seven, there were only two that God had no word of correction for. One of them was the church at Smyrna, which was the suffering church. Jesus just basically said, man, hang on to what you got. But the other one was the church at Philadelphia. And the church at Philadelphia was blessed by the Lord in a unique and special way. It says these things, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Boy, you talk about the definition of good success. God opening up a door for you and for me and no one can shut it. Why were they able to enter into this blessing? For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Three things the church at Philadelphia had going for them. Number one, they had a little strength. Now notice they didn't have a lot of strength, but the strength they had was sufficient. Why? Because their strength, their little strength, was the power of God's Spirit working in and through them. It is that marvelous mystery we find in the Scripture that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said, you know, therefore I take delight in infirmities, in distresses, in uh, discouragements for, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You know, the more we realize that we aren't our own answer, the more we realize that, say, a person, place, or thing, a, a church isn't our answer, the more we realize that God, by His Spirit, can give us the power to not be overcome by this world, but to overcome the challenges of this world, better off we're going to be spiritually. Isn't that an exciting prospect? Where God guides, He truly provides. He's going to give you a little strength. Now notice the second thing that Philadelphia had going for them. They had a little strength. Have kept my word. Now, that doesn't mean that they had kept all the commandments of God perfectly, and some people think that's the only way we're going to be blessed is we have to, you know, have our, our, our checklist spiritually, and we have to have this flawless track record of, of uh, ble blemishless performance before God in order to earn His blessing. No, the idea of keeping the word in that is keeping the word not perfectly, because who can do that? But they kept the word front and center. The Word of God was a regular part of their lives. It was a regular part of their spiritual diet. It wasn't something that was a fallback position. It wasn't something just for Sundays or Wednesday nights if you're really spiritual. It was something that they looked upon like Job said, I have treasured your Word 
more than my necessary food. Is that your relationship with God's word? Do, do you look at it not as a got to, you know, like that yucky medicine mom used to give you. You don't like it, but you got to take it because it's good for you. Do, do you look at it as a got to or do you look at it as a get to? Wow, I get to check in with God today. I get to receive a personal insight into how to live my life by looking at the life of Jesus, by seeing the truths that Jesus came to fulfill within our lives, say, uh, uh, in a more beautiful way, illustrated and illuminated for us in, in the letters of Paul. I, I get to see what God's plan is by reading prophecy. I get to see the roots of my Christian faith by reading the Old Testament. I get to learn to worship in a way that makes me a man after God's own heart like David was by reading the Psalms. Well, that's a lot of get-tos, isn't it? Where's the Word of God within your life? But notice as well, the third thing that Philadelphia had going for them is they'd not denied Jesus' name. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they had just stood up when someone says, hey, are you a Christian? And they said, well, yeah, yeah, I am. It doesn't mean they hadn't pulled a Simon Peter, you know, where they denied the Lord three times. Denying Jesus' name goes a lot deeper than that. You see, Jesus' name is his reputation. You've heard of someone saying, my good name, or, or, or someone besmirched the good name of someone. That's the idea behind all of this. Can I ask you a question? When people look at your life, are you a credit to the cause of Christ? Or do they look at your life and they go, ooh, man, whatever they're selling, I ain't buying. You know, if that's what being a Christian's all about, I'm really not sure I want to get in on that. Or have you had what I think is arguably one of the highlight moments of anybody's walk with God? When someone comes up to you and says, why are you so different? Why do you have peace when everybody else is running around like their hair's on fire these days? Why do you have strength and stability in your life instead of wondering what's going to happen next. Why is it that you have such love for people, even people that are very difficult to love? Where does that come from in your life? Well, when a non-believer can't figure you out for all the right reasons, that is a red-letter day in your walk with God. You know why? Because you're being a witness. That's what Jesus has called you and me to be. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we are told by Jesus, all power uh, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He said, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You see, the power of God allows us to be exhibit A uh, as to the truth of what God can do in our life, how he can change our lives, how he can make us new from the inside out. Joshua realized that. God reiterated that to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written for then. You will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Oh, where is the word of God in your life? For Joshua, it was front row center. And it put him in a place where he was able to be used by God in a powerful and a profound way. But you know, it's been said, it's not enough to know God's truth. It's only enough when we grow in God's truth, and when we glow with God's truth, when other people begin to pick it up. And that was something else that we see in the life of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10 says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for when three days 
You will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brothers armed, all your mighty men of valor, giving your, breth- uh, given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, understand a couple things that are going on here. First of all, God has spoken to Moses about what his commission is. Notice the first thing that Moses does is he shares that commission. He doesn't just take it upon himself. He communicates that truth to other leaders within Israel who can impact uh, the nation in wider and wider circles than Joshua could ever do if he tried to do it himself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, gives us that same model of ministry for our lives. You want to live a new and different life, a significant life in the coming year. Learn to invest your faith in other people. That's what we see there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have learned from me, and the presence of many witnesses. These commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, What God was saying to Timothy was pretty clear. I don't want you just to receive my truth. It's only enough when you relay my truth. Can I ask you a question? Do you have someone in your life you're building into as far as God's truth is concerned? You know, it begins with the most fundamental unit in God's economy. That is the family. Do you have a regular time where your family gathers together to hear God's word? It doesn't have to be some highfalutin 45-minute Bible study. Maybe it's just going through, you know, a really good devotional. You know, uh, for, for Pam and I, one of the things that we do is we go through this really wonderful devotion called One Minute Meditations, written by Chuck Smith, Jr. And uh, before our day gets going, we read through that and we, we, we pray together. And it's really a wonderful thing because there's an insight from God's Word and there's an application for it. And it really sets the tone for a beautiful day going forward. Who do you share God's word with? Do you have someone you're building into? Maybe you even want to take it a step further. Maybe there's somebody you see and the Lord lays you on your heart. You know, I'd like to come alongside of them and sort of mentor them, be a spiritual, have a spiritual protege, if you will. You know, I really believe for a healthy Christian, we should all be in a situation where we're receiving from someone who can build into our lives and relaying God's truth to someone we can build into their lives as well. That's what Joshua was doing. He didn't keep the blessing to himself, but notice he faced a challenge. There were these tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Well, they didn't enter into the promised land as we would understand it. They kept on the east side of the Jordan River, roughly in the area we would know today as Jordan and Syria, uh, for, for lack of a better term, up there. And it would have been very easy for them to say, hey, you know, we asked Moses and he said that we could stay on this side of the Jordan River and we've got our territory and good luck you guys with those Canaanites down there. 
what Joshua said to them is, hey, you guys have your land for sure, but remember the other thing you said to Moses. Moses said, okay, you can stay there, but you need to help out your brothers on the other side of the Jordan. You need to be invested in them as well. Well, it would have been a very easy thing for these three tribes to go, well, you know, uh, I know we said that, but, you know, we kind of have to keep things uh, close to home. We're just going to focus in on, on our own territory. This doesn't really benefit us. You know, one of the, the most uh, sure ways to stunt your spiritual growth is to ask yourself the question, what's in it for me? You know, I, I run into people who will say, yeah, I used to go to this church, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. Well, if by that you mean you weren't being taught God's word, and, you know, God wasn't really speaking to your heart in that way, then, then hey, you know, great, I'm glad you tried to find some place where God's word was honored and taught. But more often than not, people will say, well, you know, they just weren't, you know, lighting my fire anymore. You know, it was all about me and, and myself and I. And isn't it funny how we get focused on me, myself, and I instead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the first thing that leaves our lives is any sense of joy and peace and satisfaction. Oftentimes, these, you know, kind of church gypsies, if you will, or just wanderer, kind of rootless, are looking for a church to solve their problems. But everywhere they go, there's a problem in the church. But there's one common denominator, you. Wherever you go, there you are. God says, no, you got to be concerned about other people. You want to get the most out of church, decide before you leave these double doors, before you hit that parking lot, you're going to find one person that you can personally encourage before you get out of here and see how God revolutionizes your life. Now, notice how these people responded to Joshua's exhortation to join them and to be a part of that and to, to follow through on the commitments they made. Verse 16 says, So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Good. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so also we will heed you. But notice what they say. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. <laughs> what were these three tribes saying to Joshua? You know what, Joshua? We'll follow you, but we've got one stipulation. Walk your talk. Be strong. Be of good courage. Be a man who models the presence of the Lord in your life, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your, your job, in your school. Don't tell me about your faith. Show me. That's what these three tribes were saying to Joshua. And that is the key to fruitful ministry. Because there's an awful lot of people who will never open up a Bible, but they will read the truth of God's word that is being written on your heart. So, <laughs> a brand new you in 22. Is it possible? Sure it is. But we have to go back to these basic instructions. Number one, are we going to be people of perspective? Are we going to learn from the past? Those who fail to learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. Maybe you've heard that before. Where have you been this last year? What have been the key life lessons you've learned? If you had to look back on the last year and, and you got to do some do-overs, what would you do over and why? 
What has God shown you? How has he corrected you? How has he commended you? How has he exhorted you? How has he encouraged you? Take the time to take a look back and to see the faithfulness of God and to see those life lessons he wants to teach within you. Secondly, what role does God's word have in your life? Do you have a daily input of God's word in you? I love what Psalm 19 says says about the glories of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there's great reward. Boy, what else do you need in this life than that laundry list of blessings that are there for the taking for all who will keep God's word front and center? And finally, are you investing God's word in the lives of people? Or maybe you've just become a spiritual sponge. Do you have a regular time with those closest to you where you open up the word? Maybe by reading a devotional to start with. Maybe by just going verse by verse through a particular uh, book of the Bible. Great book to start with that's really simple and direct. I would say it would be the book of 1 John. Just start reading that together. Read it through and say, well, you know, how does that hit you? You know, what do you think the word of God is saying here? What is it saying to our lives personally? Boy, you start doing that. You start making God's word front and center in your life investing it in your life, learning the life lessons God has taken it through, learning to look at life through a biblical lens. And I'll tell you something, before you know it, you're going to be a brand new person in a brand new year. Lord, thanks so much that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for this example that we see in Joshua uh, of a man that you had prepared for such a time and a moment as when he came on the scene. Thank you, Lord, that you not only prepared him with his past, you gave him the principles of your word that, that he would learn how to walk in a way that honors you, that would make him strong and courageous. Thank you, Lord, that when we stand on your word, we've got that strength. We've got that courage because you are with us wherever we go. But even more importantly, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be people that just receive your word and, well, fail to reflect on it and fail to remember it. Lord, I think the best way to invest our word, the best way uh, to really learn it, we never learn more than when we know we got to teach. So, Lord, give us these teachable moments. Let us be people that not only have that spiritual inflow, but that outflow as well, that we might be fruitful, that we might experience your blessing, that we might uh, find you expanding our territories in, in ways that we have never dreamed possible before, that your hand would be upon us, Lord, that you would keep us from evil, that we wouldn't cause pain, but actually be a source of blessing in the lives around us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. We're looking forward to the awesome things you're going to do in our future. In Jesus' name, amen.